The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Who or what do you depend on? Meaning who or what would you be willing to put your entire life into that you would depend on for your life and your well-being? You know, in most... um, you know, superhero movies and fairy tale once upon a time stories. There's always a moment where a hero steps in and then makes a promise. A promise to right the wrongs, a promise to save the day, a, a promise to, um, you know, heal the hurts, and usually to fight back the um, enemies that are causing the pain or the trouble, whatever is going on. And we don't live in uh, once upon a time fairy tale stories, and we don't live in a world where superheroes sweep in and save the day. And so as a result, in the real world, in the adult world, what we do is we just muscle through. Right, like you and I, we put our game faces on, we push through the pain, we, uh, we guard our hearts and we hide our hurt. And we're not really waiting around for someone to save the day. We're not really hoping that someone's gonna swoop in and intervene. I mean, probably in your fantasies, you hope that you know some long lost great aunt who passes away left you millions and millions of dollars. But aside from kind of like this empty, you know, kind of hopeful wish, you, you don't really believe those moments happen and you're not really waiting for it to happen. What you're doing is you're putting your dependence, your trust in yourself and you're just kind of muscle through. And how did we get to that place? Well, for most of us, someone broke your trust. They broke their promise. And so who did it to you? What happened in your life to make you stop trusting people? Stop trusting most situations. Stop trusting even what you see around you. For for most of us, a situation happened in our lives where someone broke their promises or they broke our world. Maybe through hurt or pain or abuse, some situation that caused us to, it fractured the way we see people. And so we stopped depending on people. We stopped trusting them. We stopped believing people in town. We, we take them a little bit, but it's kind of like we take them with a grain of salt, right? Like we're still going to trust people a little, but we're not going to put the full weight of our life into believing what they have to say. And as a result, we tend to approach God with a similar attitude. Like he's there, maybe, maybe, maybe you're very skeptical and you're, you're here and you're kind of like, I don't even know what I'm, what I'm doing here. Not sure I believe there's a God at all because at some point something fractured in your life and for you, there is no God. For others of you, God is there. He just doesn't hear. He doesn't care. So he exists, but he's not actively involved in your life. He's not someone that you can depend on or that you can trust with your life situations. And uh, maybe there's something very specific you're walking through right now. Maybe something you've just gone through, maybe something you're going through in this moment, and as a result, what you're feeling is like God has broke his promise. God is not someone you can trust and it's causing you pain. And so there's nothing clever or brilliant I'm gonna say in this moment to take away that pain 
or prove to you that God is trustworthy and dependable, but I simply want to acknowledge that I think most of us go through life with this feeling that either God isn't there at all, and therefore he's not dependable, or meaning there's nothing to depend on, or there is a God, but we don't really put the full weight of our life into believing God. And yet, the Christmas story is about God, but it's not cheap cliches or filled with empty promises. In fact, the Christmas story is what ties all stories of history together. The real stories. I mean, the ones where we're walking through the chronicle of history, and what you discover is that there is one thread that connects all of the dots. And interestingly, it's not just that the Christmas story ties it all together. You could go so far as to suggest that all the stories of history point to the Christmas story. And so what I wanna do is jump in. I'm gonna to read to you what looks like a really obscure list of names. And it's found in the Gospel of Luke, meaning the account of this guy named Luke who, um, who experiences people who love Jesus. And he's a, he's a well-respected physician. He's a highly educated academic. And he becomes intrigued about this person of Jesus and becomes convinced that Jesus is who he said he was. And Luke begins to believe in and follow the way of Jesus, so much so that he writes an account of the life and teachings, death and resurrection of Jesus for other individuals like him who may have been skeptical and were not really interested in Jesus, but he writes to say, hey, this is worth you putting your whole life into. And so as he gets into it, again, he's writing from the lens of a guy who's far away from God. Uh, he comes from a Greek background, so they, you know, they just kind of like, they make up their gods. They have legends about gods. And so what he wants to do is he wants to write uh, the account of Jesus, so that people get this idea that Jesus isn't just God far away and some legend, but he's anchored in history. His story ties into history. And so he writes this account, it's found in Luke chapter three, where, where he's going through the lineage of Jesus, and he says this. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. A little bit of intrigue there the son of Jacob, and so he goes through this long list and he eventually gets down through generations and he gets to this guy named Jacob. And he goes, Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor. And in this moment, anyone reading it, even someone who's uh, far away from the religions of the Bible, of Judaism and Christianity, would kind of, it would catch their attention because this individual, Abraham, is kind of a legend in religion. But he's anchored in real history, meaning people know that this guy really existed. And so immediately what you're doing is you're hearing the story of Jesus and he ties him directly to Abraham. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way, way, way back, Jesus' ancestors, one of them was this guy named Abram or Abraham, who his dad, Terah, packs up everything with his whole family and they move to uh, what's, what is called Ur of the Chaldeans, which doesn't mean much to you, but basically that's modern day uh, Iraq, right? But then they just camp there. That's where they stay. And Abraham has this encounter with a real living, active God. So, so imagine, here's the situation. The, they're, they're just 
nomadic pagans who they just make up their gods. And this is around 2000 BC. And uh, uh, Terah and his son Abraham, they're just kind of traveling their whole clan. And, you know, they worship the moon. They worship the sun. They worship the rain. And then suddenly this guy, Abraham, has this vision or this encounter where he actually experiences God. And this is what he hears. It's recorded all the way back in Genesis, which is an account of the beginnings of and the origins of man and the way God interacts with man. The account is written this way. The Lord had said to Abram, so this is before he has this experience and his name is changed. And so as I'm sharing, you're gonna hear me kind of go back and forth between Abram and Abraham. It's because God changes his name from Abram to Abraham as a way to prove that his life is changed because he encounters God. So here we go. Here's the story. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so he gets this unbelievable promise from God. He has this encounter with a real living God. And as a result, God says, get up and I want you to go somewhere else. I want you to start a whole new life with me at the center of your life, meaning with God at the center of your life. And then through you, I'm gonna turn your life into something amazing. And I'm gonna bless those who bless you. I'm gonna curse those who curse you. But through you, I'm gonna bring a blessing to the whole world. Everyone is going to be blessed because of what I'm going to do in and through your life. But Abram is kind of confused. He's like, well, I mean, how is that possible? I don't even have any children, and I'm a pretty old man. My wife, we're not going to say that she's getting older, but the truth is she's probably past the age where she can have any children. And uh, God says, that's okay, I got this under control. So we're going to jump ahead in the story. He said he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can, can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So what, what God says is he goes like this, look, here's what I'm gonna do. I, I know that it seems impossible, and I know that no one ever reads a fairy tale once upon a time story and thinks it can happen in their life or hears about superhero movies and believes that a superhero can sweep in and save the day. But God says to Abram, look, here's the deal. If you trust me, I can bless you and bless those who bless you. I can, curse, I can curse those who curse you. And through you, I can raise up a nation and bless the whole world. And it only requires one thing of you, Abram. And that's where we're going to jump ahead, just one, another verse. And this is Abram's response. Abram, believe the Lord. And what's interesting, and the reason why this is in all caps, maybe you've noticed that every once in a while, uh, is he's referring to the living, real God. And so and when you read it, what he's saying is like the real living God who keeps his promises, Abram believed in that God. And he credited it to him as righteousness, meaning he deposited into Abram's spiritual account that he did everything that was needed. He, he accomplished everything you had to accomplish to receive this promise from God. And as a result, God looked at Abram and said, you're living right in my eyes. 
And, and that's what that little verse means. Abram believed in the Lord, the one true living God who keeps his promises, and God deposited into Abram's account the perspective that Abram had done everything that was needed, and he is right in God's eyes. And there's a point. There, there's something that as I'm reading this, this story isn't about Abram. In Jesus' lineage, it says Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, because what Luke is doing is he's connecting all of the dots of history and showing that Abram is pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is the gift of Christmas. And so when we think about the Christmas story, it connects the dots of all of history for us. And the point is this, that the Christmas story reveals something that happened in ancient times. And that is this, that through Abraham, there is a principle that we learn. And that is this principle. And I would love for you to write this down, take notes, jot this in your study guide or your program that we gave you when you came in. Feel free to pull out a smartphone or a tablet, write this down. Because this is the lesson since Abram, 4,000 years ago, and here is the lesson. God promises an open heaven. That's the point. When God showed up to Abram, when he was going in the wrong direction, doing the wrong thing, making up gods, the point was when God showed up and spoke to him and gave him a promise, what God was saying was this, look, Abraham, or, or Abram that becomes Abraham, Heaven is open to you. And for anyone that does what you do and believes what you believe, they're gonna discover that heaven is open for them too. In essence, God promises to you and I an open, an open heaven that started with Abraham. Now, when I hear that, I go, I want that. I want in my darkest moments, in my greatest fears, when my life is filled with more worry than abundance and I'm struggling through my own emotions, my own fears, my own insecurities, what I wanna believe is that there is an open heaven. So why don't you and I feel like that? Why have so many times you and I prayed with clenched fists feeling like we're praying to a closed heaven? Why do we feel like God is so at the best far away and distant from us? Here's the deal. It's not God, it's us living very much like Abram. We're just doing our thing. We're just going our own way. We're kind of making up what we're going to love, right? So here, here's the story, right? We call it worship. It's what you put your affection and your adoration into. And so Abram with his family, they're just like, hey, we like the sun because it gives us heat. And so we love the sun, we worship it. We like the moon because when it comes out, it gets a little cooler at night rather than living in a heat of the desert. We get the cool of the night and we like that. Man, we worship the rain because it gives us crops, right? And so they're just making up what they worship. Well, you and I do something very similar. We just, we just start to worship our desires, whatever feels good. And as a result, we push further and further away from the real, true, living God into loving what we want and what we desire. Well, this is what biblical authors and Jesus refer to as sin. And sin we're, it's something that drives us that we're born with. It's this nature, this instinct in us that causes us to love what we want. 
and push away from God doing our own thing. Well, the end result of sin is not just that it causes trouble in our life. It's not just that it hurts us or hurts relationships. And it's not that it ends in death. Yes, it causes death. But the end result of sin is that it is a self-sabotaging spiritual force that leads to eternal judgment. Meaning the final payment of sin is that we spend forever separated from God and his love. But the point of this moment with Abram is that God pursued and God pursues people going in wrong directions. Look, here's the deal. Abraham, uh, whose name was previously Abram, he's from the wrong race, he's from the wrong part of the world, he's from the he has the wrong kind of religion, and he's doing all of the wrong things. And God pursues him. And God shows up in his life and intervenes in his story and turns his life around. In fact, uh, God um, gives, speaks to him even more. And I want to just read a little bit of that to you. It's found in Genesis chapter 17 where his story continues. God says to him, I will make you very fruitful. Meaning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you lots of kids. I'm going to fill your life with abundance. I'm going to make your son into a great nation. He says, and I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant, meaning it will never end between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And here's the point of what I just read. Because there's some uh, concepts in here that just as you read over them, you might kind of miss the point. So what is God saying? God's saying, look, Abram, not only am I going to bless you, not only am I going to give you a son and your son's going to become a great nation, but I am going to promise to give you my love forever. That's that word everlasting covenant. The word covenant is the idea of a forever love relationship where one individual says to the other, I give myself completely to you for the rest of my life, and in this context, forever, no matter what you ever do or don't do for me. And this is what God promises Abram. And then he goes like this, oh, and by the way, that covenant is not just for you, but for your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. Fast forward all the way to Jesus. Now here's, the, here's how I'm gonna connect the dots, right? Go back when God says to Abram, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. The point was this, that someday, generations from now, I'm gonna rescue the whole world from this driving force called sin. And when I rescue the world from sin, it's gonna require me to become one of you. And the only thing you can do is just trust me and believe my word, what Abraham did when it says he believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So let me, let me try to tie this together. Here's what God does. God says, Abraham, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love you forever and I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. And anyone who believes like you do will be a descendant of you. Generations later, Jesus shows up on the scene as the fulfillment of that promise where God becomes one of us to rescue us from this driving force called sin that's wrecking our lives. Sin that drives us away from God and leads toward eternal ruin. And when Jesus comes to earth, he doesn't just come uh, as God, 
to do really cool things or to tell us something important like give us new commands. No, he comes to say, I'm gonna rescue you. I'm gonna bring a blessing to you and you and you and to every nation on the, on the earth. I'm gonna give my blessings. How? Here's what Jesus does. He comes to take on the consequence of our sin and the suffering of our sin and the eternal judgment of our sins that when he died, he didn't die because he deserved to die, but because you and I deserve to die. So that when he died on the cross, he absorbed the full judgment of our sin on himself. But Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he conquers the power of sin, the fear of death, and frees us from eternal judgment. So that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, not only is our sin forgiven, so that guilt and shame are removed, but we're given God's spirit, which enters into our spirit. And when God's spirit is in us, he gives us new and eternal life because Jesus conquered death. So now when I have God's spirit in my spirit, what I discover is that I have access to an open heaven because now there isn't this huge distance between me and God where I thought that God was far away, God was uncaring, God was um, cavalier about my life, that now I know that God is personally connected to me and loves me. And I know that because God fulfilled his promise to Abraham by sending Jesus generations later. And the point is this, here's what I, I'd love for you to write this down or at least make a note of this. So if, I'm, if, if God promises an open heaven, what does that mean for me? It means this, that faith accesses God's promises. What gives you access to God's promises? It's this thing called faith. It's what, it's what Abraham did. It said that he believed in the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And this isn't just some you know, empty faith in anything. It's not just blind faith where you just believe anything or whatever that you see or hear. This is a genuine faith that God keeps his promises. The only thing Abraham, or again, I keep using his name, Abram and Abraham interchangeably. The only thing he did was he just took God at his word. Follow me here, right? So God shows up to this guy living in the desert. His, he's a nomadic, it's a nomadic clan. It really doesn't have anything going for him. He has no children. He has no future. He doesn't really have a lot of wealth. And God says, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you a son. Through that son, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn him into a great nation. Through that nation, I'm gonna bless the whole world. I mean, what does Abraham have to lose in this moment? And in your life, when things feel shipwrecked and things are falling apart, when you're not quite sure what your future holds, what do you and I have to lose to just simply say, you know what, God? I don't have anything else or anyone else to depend on. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna take you at your word. And this, again, this isn't just some kind of like blind faith. This is me saying, I can look at history and discover that God keeps his promises, that God does what he said he would do. And as a result, I'm gonna put my trust, my confidence in God. I'm gonna put my life in the hands of a God who keeps his promises. And what faith does is faith gives you access to the promises of God. And there's nothing else you can do, right? So that's the whole point of this verse, is when, when God, when Abram responds and he simply believes God, 
It was credited to him and there was nothing more he could have done. And, and listen to me. Some of us, we get caught in this trap where we feel like we have to earn our way to God or you have to be religious enough to impress God or you have to do the right thing. There's no amount of good you can do to cause God to be good to you. You don't earn your way to God. You don't work your way to God. You don't give your way to God. You know what you and I do? We just simply trust him. Abram just believed what God said, and it changed his entire life. It not only changed his life, it changed the course of his future. It gave him a child. Through that child, a nation came into existence, the nation of Israel. Through Israel came Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, what we celebrate during the Christmas story. And through Jesus, the entire world has access to an open heaven. That's the blessing, right? And so because Abram simply trusted God, it gave him access, meaning it gave him the hands to receive the promises of God. And that's all faith does. Faith doesn't create the reality of God. Faith doesn't create the promises of God. Faith simply is the mechanism, the hands that we use to reach out and receive the gifts the promises of God. And so right now, there are promises of God available in your life that you can only access through faith, simply believing. What are the promises that you're missing out on because you're telling yourself that you can't trust anyone, that you can't trust a friend, you can't trust you know, people that you love and respect, and you can't trust God, and as a result, you've closed your life off and you've hardened your heart and you're missing out. And I would just simply challenge you right now, would you open up your heart and just say, you know what, God, I'm gonna trust you. You've been faithful through history. You've done what you said you would do, and I'm gonna believe you, and that belief gives you access Access to the promises of God. Well, what one of those key promises for Abraham was this, and I'm just going to jump right back in the story. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, where God says to him, I am your shield, your very great reward. The key here was this one of the promises of God is him. He is the best promise you could ever receive. Not just that he will protect you, not just that he will give you what you need, but that he will be with you, that he will be present in your life. And, and so um, what God does is he says to Abraham, he says, look, I want you to offer your best sacrifice to me, but I wanna take that sacrifice and I wanna show you something. And so here's the next moment. Uh, he goes, yes, when the, so Abraham offers him a sacrifice and when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, something mysterious began to happen. A smoking fire pot with blazing fire, a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces of the sacrifice. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And the point was this, God showed up in a very real and noticeable way in Abram's life when he obeyed God and he trusted God. And, and here's what I want you to write down. Faith accesses God's presence. Faith just doesn't just give you access to God's promises. Faith gives you access to God himself. Look, here's the deal. You and I are gonna believe something. We're gonna believe that there's nothing to believe. We're gonna believe that people will break your heart. 
Some of you are gonna believe that you can't trust anyone. You're gonna believe that you can only trust yourself, only to disappoint yourself. And then you're like, well, I can't believe anything. Some of you, uh, you believe that you can only trust what you can see with your physical eyes. And so you get really confused about lots of things going on in the universe around you that you read from other scientists. Some of you, you get to choose to believe science or education or other professors. See, here's the deal. Every one of us are gonna start and continue through life depending on something and or someone. Meaning we put our life into certain assumptions. We assume that there is no God. We assume that only what I can see and I can experience and I can test are real. Others choose to trust other people. And as a result, their life is enriched and strengthened and they're able to accomplish things they could have otherwise never accomplished. And then there is this rare generation of individuals who just follows in the pathway of Abraham and chooses to believe and put their faith in God. And when they do that, God's presence is revealed in their life. God shows up in a very real and powerful way. But God isn't, God isn't like exclusive, meaning he's not like, well, I'm going to pick Abraham. The point was anyone who believes in God by faith becomes a child of Abraham. And you have access to an open heaven through faith in Jesus. And here's the thing, right? Think about it this way. When you and I get afraid, what we're believing is that whatever negative thing could happen will happen, right? That, that's our belief. When you start to worry, here's what you're doing. You're letting the worst case scenario start to run through your mind and you're beginning to believe that that, that worst case scenario will happen. And, and so it begins to stress you out. What is stress? Stress is when we begin to physically respond to the things that are weighing on us, the deadlines, the worries, the doubts, the fears, right? And so that stuff begins to become a belief system that we depend on. You're gonna believe something. Here's the deal, when you believe in Jesus by faith, what you're believing is this, that my trust in God outweighs my belief in my fears, my worries, or my doubts. I just believe that there is a real God and he is actively involved in my life and his presence is accessible to me. And so my trust in him outweighs my trust in my fears, my doubts, and my worries. And the only thing that Abraham can do is simply trust God and then act on that trust. So what does he do? He actually packs up his family and he moves. Even when obedience to God feels like a dead end street, Abraham still trusts God because he would rather trust God and go down a dead end street with the opportunity that God could do a miracle than live his life down a dead end street without trust in God. So Abraham obeys and I will say this, the only thing that separates so many of us from God's promises and God's presence is not necessarily faith, but acting on that faith. See, we have to, faith has to become 
active for us to experience and encounter the promises of God and live in the presence of God. In essence, another way to look at it is, what is the animating force of your life? Meaning, what gives you life? For people who are like Abraham, who through faith in Jesus believe that God does what God says he will do, Faith becomes the animating force of our life. It's what gives us life. It's what gets us out of bed. It's what causes us to have, uh, be willing to be faithful in our marriage. It's what allows us to be generous uh, with our finances. It's, it's what allows us to be sacrificial in our serving. See, it's because faith in God animates every aspect of our life. And so can I challenge you that when you put your faith in God and as a result, he gives you the hands to receive his promises and experience his presence. Allow what enters into you to come out of you. In essence, what fills, spills. How can your faith be an inspiration to others? How can your access to an open heaven create an open heaven to others. I want you to walk out of here and when you conclude this moment to know that when you pray, you're praying to an open heaven. That when you speak, your words make it to a real living, loving God who has reached out to and is pursuing you. So would you pause right now? As we, as we are entering into this Christmas season and celebrating the Christmas story, would you take a moment by faith and just believe? Not some empty, blind belief, but a true, deep belief that God is who he said he is, that God keeps his promises. And so God, I trust you with my life. God, would you help me to activate my faith and would, you, would my faith become the animating force of my life? Would you allow me to pray over you right now? Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that you refused to leave us on our own, headed in our own direction, but you pursued us. When we were running from you, you ran after us. When we were just worshiping and loving whatever our desires were, you came and you revealed yourself to us. And so God, across this room and for each one that's joining us online, God, would you meet them in a very real way? Would you show us that you keep your promises and that we can experience your presence? Would you give us faith right now to believe you and to put the, uh, put the full weight of our life on you? God, we trust you right now. We need you and we're willing to say that we love you. We give our life to you and we commit to living devoted to you. God, now help us to activate that faith. We say this right now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.